This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Victory in Jesus, and it comes from 1 John 5, 1 through 5. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Our mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too, whether that's iTunes or Google or Spotify or Amazon. We're there. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Well, today we pick back up in the book of 1 John. And I want to apologize. I know the last two weeks have kind of been a miss. First, uh, we were traveling, and so we missed that week. And then the second, uh, we were out sick. So anyhow, we're back today. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to do the first five verses. If you remember, though, a couple of weeks back when we studied 1 John and we wrapped it up, it was all about love. And as we've studied 1 John, there's really been three tests that we've looked at, that First John's taught us. One, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe that Jesus was the Christ? That he came in God form and he is to reign and rule forever. The second one, not only do we have to believe that, but we also have to love God with all our heart. We have to love Jesus with all our heart. That means we have to follow him. We have to chase after him. We have to do his commandments. We Take what the Bible says and we live it out. We don't openly go against God's commandments. We don't openly live in sin. Does that mean we that we won't mess up? No, it does not. Occasionally we will, but we won't choose to make a sin. It'll happen just because we're not operating in the spirit, but in the flesh. And then the third and final one was, Jesus even taught this. He said that we are to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. And then we're to love others as ourselves. So the third test is, do you love others? Are you loving sacrificially? So today we're going to actually expound on how we can test about our salvation. And we're going to look at that love and where that love comes from. How can we love sacrificially? Because it's not in us naturally. So with that said, turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. And we'll start in verse 1, and I'll be reading out the ESV. 
Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So again, right there we see in the last verse that we get our victory over the world through Jesus, and that's why I titled this Victory in Jesus. But first, it's kind of a repeat. It carries on from chapter 4 to chapter 5, and he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, if you go and look that word up, the Christ, in the Greek, that is Christos, or that means the Messiah. And it's the same verse that we see over in Matthew 16, when Peter tells Jesus that he was the Christ. When Jesus asked him, who do people say that I am? Peter, who do you say I am? And he said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Christos. And so what John tells us, when we have doubt about our salvation, he says that whoever believes that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God. That that isn't done by ourselves, but that is revealed to us. Just like Jesus told uh, Peter that you didn't figure this out on your own, that God had revealed to him that he was the Messiah. And John has mentioned being born of God several times. First in 1 John 2, 29, also in verse John 3, 9, and 1 John 4, 7. In each of these verses, we see that he gives us that it's more than just believing. And right here, for example, in 1 John 2, 29, he says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So there he's talking about born of God. 1 John 3, 9, as I said, he says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So again, he's talking there that we follow after God and we follow after his righteousness. That follows us being born again. Now, some of you may be going, Tim, be careful because you're talking about a works-based salvation. And I'm not. Because he tells us how we are born of God. What does he say? Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, this means believing that Jesus is the Messiah, but not just the Messiah in a generic sense, that he's our Savior, he's our salvation, and therefore we love him with all our heart and we follow after him other thing is John's focus has been on love. He never wants anyone to believe that we earn our salvation by loving others. We have to be born of God when we put our trust on Jesus and his saving work in our life. Now we do understand it's more than just understanding a more intellectual knowledge of Jesus being the Messiah because even in James 2.19 says that even the demons believe in Jesus Christ, that he's the Messiah. The difference is they don't obey his commandments. They don't follow him. And so to make this as clear as I can, that we must believe in Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, and we have to make him Lord of our life. And there's many new age sort of thinking out there where people believe Jesus had this Christ spirit. 
Some would even claim that if you, you know, do right, Confucius would help you or Muhammad or Buddha. But we studied all that. The Bible tells us that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way, and we have to believe in him, and we have to follow after him. We have to make him Lord of our life. We have to make him king of our life. We have to die to ourselves. But then look how he finishes the second half of this verse. He says, everyone that loves him also loves those that were begotten by him. Being born of God also has two effects. It assumes that we love God, that he loved us enough that he saved us. But because we're born again and we're in his family, we can be assured that we are born again because we love others. We have that sacrificial love. We take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the things about Christianity is it's not about race. It's not about class. It's not about culture. It's not about language. It's not about anything except making him Lord of our life. And what John is saying right here in the second half of this verse is that when we are in the family of God, that means we don't limit our love to just our little clique, our little group. Not to our social or financial status, not to our own race, not to our own political perspective, not to our own theological thinking. It's that we love everyone in the body of Christ, no matter of any of those standards. I can remember when I was growing up, my pastor used to say that as a parent, he would get you know disgusted. He would get just flustered over seeing his children fight how they hated someone else and used that word hate. And he would say, just think, if I'm a parent and I don't love and I don't feel perfectly like God does, how must God feel when we don't love and we fight against those brothers and sisters in Christ, when we don't help them out, when we overlook them, when we turn a back to them? Well, then he goes on, he tells us in verse 2, what did he say? By this, we know that we love the children of God. And he goes on to say that we show that we love the children of God by God's obedience. Our love and obedience to God is the demonstration of our love to the body of Christ. Again, it's never the same as what God's love is for us. But I can stand here today and tell you that one of the best things that my father did was he loved my mom and his wife so that we could see that love. He took care of her. He loved her in sickness and health, for better or for worse. And that's just a small sample of what God's love is for us. And so if we're going to demonstrate to our brothers and sisters how much we love God, then we do that through loving others. And so he rounds out verse 2 by saying that we love God and obey his commandments. I hope everyone will stop and think about what just was said. The worst thing we can do is call ourselves a Christian and not keep God's commandments. That shows that we don't really love God, that we're rebellious to God if we don't keep his commandments. And I'll tell you how strong I believe this. It doesn't matter what office you hold in the church. It doesn't matter if you're a minister. If you don't keep God's commandments, you're not showing love for God. The old saying is we have to walk the talk. We can't just talk the talk. We have to walk it out. And when our love and obedience for God grows cold, when we become distant to him, we don't only hurt ourselves, we hurt our brothers and sisters. 
the damage is done because we have people that watch us, that look to us. And when we fall short, we're not only damaging ourselves, but we're dragging others down with us. And listen to what John had to say about this back in chapter 1. Let me take you back there. Turn with me to 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. What he's saying there is you can't love God. You aren't born to God if you openly walk in darkness. The two don't mix. As John is writing this verse, I'm sure he had in mind what Jesus said in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And John doesn't turn this into some uh, mushy, emotional experience. John writes about obedience and showing love through our actions. But what I really like is how he says that his commandments aren't burdensome. In other words, they're not heavy. They're not a they're not a burden to carry. They're not that hard on them. Because think about your marriage. Think about those that you love, the things that you do because you want to do it. And it's even though it's extra work, even though it's doing things that you probably wouldn't normally do, you don't think anything about it. And when we love something, it's not a burden. It's not something extra. We just do it out of the love. And he's saying that when we love God, when we're his children, when we have that right relationship with the Father, that obeying his commandments aren't a burden. Let me ask you, are his commands a burden in your life? Do you see them as a burden? God's commands are good for. His commands are given for our best interest. Obedience is a desire because we love God. I think about all the people that I run into that claim that they love God, but they don't do what he says. How can we declare that we love God and to be a Christian who's supposed to love God and not do exactly what he tells us to do. One of the ways you can find out if you love God is if you think keeping his commandments are a burden. When we love God, they aren't a burden. That's what it says. When we do it out of duty rather than love, it becomes a burden. And it shows that our obedience is not coming from our love for God, but out of an obligation that we think we must observe for God. God's not calling us for obligation. He's calling us to love and for love. And we replicate that back to him by keeping his commandments. But we do it out of love, not out of duty, not out of ritual, not out of religion. We do it out of love. The other thing I would tell you is that if we review what we've read right now through these first three verses, it starts off that it's not so bad that Believing that Jesus is the Christ. And then it becomes a little more difficult. Loving others as we love ourselves. That is more difficult. And that does take a work of God's Spirit in our heart. I can't just say, well, I'm going to love him. You know, I've done that. I've tried to mesmerize myself. I've tried to do self-hypnosis. And I've, t I've told myself, he's not such a bad guy. He's got some good traits. I, I, really should, I really shouldn't feel this way about him. I know he's loud and he's brash and he says stupid things at times, but hey, I do too. But yet he's not that bad, just like I'm not a bad person. And I shouldn't really feel this animosity towards him that I do. He, 
He shouldn't rub me the wrong way like he does. We all can relate to the statements that I'm telling you. Why do I say all that? Because just like what I'm telling you, some of us are that way. We try to fake it. We try to make it through our, on our own. And we can't do it because even when we psych ourselves out, when we tell ourselves all those things, what happens? We, we go to that person. We're at a party maybe. Maybe we're at work. And they show up. They come in. They're, they've got their loud mouth. They've, they're crude. They say things that we don't agree with. And what do we think? He's a jerk. Why do they have to come in here and mess things up? See, all the stuff that we told ourselves, all those hours of building ourselves up, it didn't work. You know why? Because we tried to do it in our flesh. We tried to do it in our own spirit. We did it, and it was a burden to do it. And what it's saying here is that when we do it out of love, it's not a burden. Because we look past those things. When we love somebody, we love somebody in spite of all those characteristics. And yes, there's always going to be those people that we're not compatible with. They're too much like us. We're sandpaper rubbing against one another. And the other thing is, it's amazing how horrible our sins look when someone else is committing them. You know, if I'm committing them, well, that's not that bad. But if you start committing that sin, well, that's ugly. That's bad. I can't stand for you to be able to do that. You shouldn't be doing that, even though I don't think it's that bad when I do it. We get, we're always going to run into some of this. And this kind of love takes a special work of God's Spirit in our heart. You can't do it. I can't do it. We can't manufacture agape love. You can't psych yourself up into agape love. And that's what it takes to love everyone. And trust me, I don't always get it right. Matter of fact, I get it wrong probably more than I get it right. But I can tell you that I try to love people because God's love should be reflected through me. And when I get it wrong, I ask God for forgiveness and I'm like, Lord, help me in this area. Lord, I know that I don't love them, but I know you do. So give me your love for them. Help me have your love for them, dear Lord. And the theology of Tim says, I think God wants that frank and honest conversation with them. He wants that as a true relationship. Because if you're honest, then you're not fooling yourself. And for sure, you're not fooling God. He knows. So why do we try to snow God with our prayers? Why do we try to make things better when God knows our heart? Stop right then and there and say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I, I know I'm not supposed to hate him. I know I'm not supposed to dislike this person. I know I'm not supposed to be the way that I'm being towards this person. Lord, you got to help me. I'm willing, Lord, but you've got to do it. And if you're honest, then God can deal with that. And God will deal with that. And God will help you work it out because that is you yielding your flesh over to the Holy Spirit. And then look how he wraps up verse 4 and 5. He says in verse 4, everyone who has been born of God, being born of God, being that rebirth, they've overcome the world. You're an overcomer. You're a conqueror. See, John reminds the reader and he reminds us that if we are born of God, then we've overcome the world. The idea that anything born of God can be defeated by the world is just wrong. Is there anything in the world that's bigger than God? 
No, there's not. So how can we not be an overcomer? How can we not overcome the world if we are born of God and we have God in us? And you go, well, Tim, how do I do this? Because I don't feel like I've overcome the world. Well, he answers it right at the very end of the verse. He says to overcome the world is through our faith. Believing in him is the key to being born of God, following after him, keeping his commandments. But the key to victory, overcome the world is faith. Not only that initial come to the altar kind of get saved faith, but a consistent abiding faith, a, a faith that is reliant on him, that trust in him saying that, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I need your help to get through it. That's how we overcome the world when the world seems like it's winning. Hopefully, as you walk away today, you will remember this powerful truth. Whatever has been born of God overcomes the world. John spent quite a bit of time proving that we are born of God. Those of us who are walking in the light, those of us that love God, those of us that love one another, we are born of God. We covered all that. So we have overcome the world because we've been born of God. And John starts to zero in exactly why we have overcome the world, and it's through our faith. John is not speaking of the world in a physical way. No, that's not what he's really talking about. He's not talking about the people who live here on earth. He's talking about the world in the sense that sinfulness of the world. See, John told us in 1 John 2.15 that we cannot love the world or the things of the world because it's sinful. And so this is overcoming when we put our faith and we walk in the Holy Spirit and we, we abide in Christ. We defeat the evil world and we achieve victory through our faith in Jesus. It's through Jesus Christ that we're able to shift our affection away from the world and the sins of the world and the things that feed our flesh, and we're able to overcome that. Remember what John taught back in the second chapter. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. That's 1 John 2, 14. And we need to hear this encouraging words. We need to repeat it to ourselves. And we need to remember that we have our victory in Jesus, that we've overcome the vices, the weakness, the temptations, and the sins when we love God and we chase after him and our focus is there. When we get into trouble is when we take our eyes off God, off Jesus, and we put it back in the world. All of a sudden, those vices become stronger. The weakness seems to pop right up in front of us. The temptations are everywhere. But when we rely on Jesus and we walk in our faith, we are overcomers. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians that are walking around defeated. They're not walking in victory. And what do they say? I'm going to do better next time. I'm going to try harder. And you know what? They're going to fail again because they're trying to fight Satan by themselves. It's not going to work. Satan will defeat us every time when we do it in our own strength. But when we rely upon the Lord for our strength, when we build our love for the Lord, which moves us away from the world and towards him, then it transfers his strength to us. And we're walking in his strength and our affection and our passions towards God is now our strength that we walk in. And it takes this, our a desire away from the flesh and we put that desire back on God. If you want to be victorious in this life, then you walk and abide in faith and embracing God's commands. If you go look at that word faith in the Greek, 
It doesn't mean just to believe. It means to trust, to confide in, to commit to, to entrust with. The very meaning of this faith is the confidence and reliance upon Jesus Christ. And that's how we have faith that is victorious. Jesus told us in John 16, 13, In the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Because Jesus has overcome the world then, and we abide in him, we are overcomers in Jesus and through Jesus. And all this points right to verse 5 as he sums up this little section or this verse. He says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes in Jesus, the Son of God? In other words, you're not going to do it if you're not a believer. Oh, you may win a few battles, but the world will eventually overtake you because you will become tired. You will be worn down and the world will win. You will give in. You will fall. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. I heard a story about this very poor man down in West Texas back in 1930 who barely made a living on a poor sheep farm. His name was E.L. Yates, and he was so poor that he was contemplating bankruptcy and allowing the bank to repossess his farm. He was constantly worrying about how he could pay his bills and feed his family. One day, the survey crew from an oil company came to him and asked for permission to drill oil on his property. The contract stated that he was to receive every eighth barrel if any oil was found. And sure enough, at over a thousand feet down, they hit a gusher. The well produced 80,000 barrels of oil a day. Wells soon followed that could produce twice that capacity. Even after 30 years, the records show that the wells produced over 125,000 barrels a day. It proved to be one of the richest veins of oil ever found in North America. What I want you to understand is Mr. Yates owned it all. When he purchased the land, the oil came with it. During all the years of his poverty, he was rich and he didn't even know it. Years passed before Mr. Yates possessed what he owned and enjoyed the privilege of his ownership. And what we need to understand is that we have the privilege, just like Mr. Yates had the privilege to live with all that wealth, to live in victory every day. It is by faith that we claim what is ours. And my question, are you living every day in his power and his victory? Or are you walking around defeated? Maybe you showed up today and you realize that you really don't have victory because you don't have Jesus as your Lord of your life. And I pray today that you would ask him to come in. You'll dedicate your life to him. And you'll be more than praying a prayer, but that you will fall in love with him and you'll chase after him. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. And Lord, right now, I just pray that you would just touch each and every one listening. Lord, that they would walk more victorious as they go through this week. Lord, that they will stop and have a true assessment of their heart. Lord, that they'll look at where there are burdens and trying to chase after you. Lord, where your commandments are a burden, Lord, and that they will give those areas of their life over to you. Lord, I pray for the one that doesn't know you at all. Lord, I pray today that they would just ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, that they would say that I need a Savior. Lord, I need you to be king of my life. I've been doing it all wrong, and I need you. 
Lord, I pray right now that they would pray that prayer and ask that thing, and then they would mean it, and they would go out and chase after you and your commandments. Lord, I pray for the ones that showed up that seem to be defeated. They're not walking around in their victory. They're like Mr. Yates. Even though we have the victory in you, they haven't realized the victory that they have, and they're not claiming that victory. They're walking around in spiritual bankruptcy. Lord, I pray right now that they would understand that they are wealthy with you and that when they get focused on you and chase after you, that you will turn things around. You will make those things work to the good of those who love you. Lord, right now, I just pray for each and every one that hears this message. Lord, that it would just fall on fertile soil, that hard soil will be broken up. And Lord, we will, Lord, that it will challenge us. Lord, that this lesson won't finish without us being changed. Lord, that you change us, your Holy Spirit. Lord, it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.